So Money episode 1051, Black Wealth Matters, a series starting with Mylik Teal, founder of Curlbox. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It is June 3rd, 2020. Over the years, many outstanding Black individuals who fought racism and oppression to achieve personal wealth and career success have graced my podcast. And for the next 10 episodes from today, June 3rd through June 24th, I'll be resharing and reamplifying some of their voices, their work, stories of resilience, hard work, and triumph. I'm calling this series Black Wealth Matters. I announced this on Instagram earlier in the week as my small way of contributing to this human rights issue of racial equality. For me, this is the quickest action I know to take that will hopefully have a meaningful impact to get us to unlearn, reevaluate, and better understand what it means to be a Black person in this country while trying to establish personal wealth. Thank you to everyone who responded to my announcement with guest recommendations for Black Wealth Matters. I've taken them all into account, kept all the names in a folder, and hoping to work my way to speaking to all of them and bringing their stories to you. And if it's not this month, rest assured it will be in the coming months. So please keep the great suggestions coming. You can email me, Farnoosh at So Money Podcast, with people you think should be highlighted for their contributions, their coaching, their teaching, and their successes in the pursuit of wealth as a Black individual. So today, we are revisiting my conversation with the great Mylik Teal back in 2015. Mylik is the Atlanta-based founder and chief experience officer of Curlbox, the first exclusive monthly subscription box for naturally curly hair. As somebody who's got naturally curly hair, I totally dig this. Curlbox has major partnerships with brands and distributors from Procter & Gamble to Target, Shea Moisture, the list goes on. Mylik is a teacher at heart. She has a wildly popular podcast called Hashtag My Taught You. It's become her global classroom, actually, where women from all walks of life tune in for guidance and a healthy dose of motivation to live life on their own terms. You just heard Mylik share at the top of the show a moment from our conversation when she candidly opens up about her relationship with money. She says, even as a wealthy woman today, she is still cautious with her money, perhaps overly cautious. I think her story is still so relevant and important to hear. Here's my leak teal. My leak teal, welcome to So Money. I have such a girl crush on you. I'm so excited for you to be on the show and sharing all of your experiences with us. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I've been hearing about the So Money podcast and everyone saying you should be on there. So I'm so happy to finally be here. All right, the stars of a line. <laughs> yes. Um, so. Truth be told, I've been cyber stalking you and <laughs> it's not hard to. You have a huge, huge presence online. You're such a, um, 
you're, you connect so authentically with your followers, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter. And thank you for the shout out to when she makes more on Instagram. Do you know yes. that I got, I got like a hundred Instagram followers that day. Awesome. I didn't <laughs> even, once I looked you up after just did the intro and then I saw that you had that book and I was like, Oh my God, because when you are a woman that makes money, it's tricky. And I'm like, someone wrote a book about this. Mm-hmm. I was thrilled. And I have it. It's on my nightstand right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. If I had known that you are such a, a needle mover when it comes to books, <laughs> I would have been like, I don't want to be on the Today Show. I'll just be on my leaks Instagram <laughs> page. Um, yeah. And by the way, guys listening and gals, uh, Jess Lively is who we're talking about. Jess Lively is a podcast host. Check out her show, The Lively Show. My leak was on her podcast not too long ago. Listen to that episode. And I was on Jess's, epi- Jess's podcast as well. And that's how the two of us connected. So a little backstory there. But Malik, your story is so amazing. I want to I want to share a little bit about Curlbox, of course, with our listeners. But before we get to the business, I want to um, just uh, say that as I was cyber stalking you online, I got a little uh, overview of your journey. So I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but going back to uh, before you started Curlbox, which is a very successful monthly online subscription, uh, providing women of color, uh, various hair products. Cause we know that they have all different hair care needs right. and you really simplify it for them. But before you started the genius that is Curlbox, you were working in PR, you quit your job in your twenties, you moved yep. to Atlanta for a guy yes, whom you're no longer with. Correct. Um, and you, uh, so you were jobless and yes. only had about $7,000 in your bank account. Yep. You decided to just do, you went a couple of months without finding work. So you were like, I'll just babysit, which you know what? <laughs> That's what I knew. I wanted to talk to you so bad because I babysat too in my twenties to make ends meet. And there is yep. no shame. No, no shame. You went to jail also for 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's not funny, but I just right. like right. so yeah. many different things happened Crazy to you. Story. And then we fast forward to Curlbox, which is now this very profitable uh, business. You have a tremendous following online. So let's fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. I gave a very fast forwarded story of events. But if you could take us back to when you quit your job in PR, what made you want to quit? And then share a little bit about the emotional, I think the emotional up and down that you went through yeah. to start Curlbox and why Curlbox. So just fill in those blanks a little bit. I gave a very uh, fast and loose uh, summary, but take us back and, and give us some of the specifics of that time frame. Absolutely. Um, I was one of those late college bloomers. I went to three different universities because I just couldn't figure out what I wanted to do, where I was going to go. So I started off in DC at Howard University and ended up finishing at San Francisco State. I moved back home and I just still didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I kind of got into the PR, marketing, entertainment. I mean, in LA, it's, it's a no brainer. And I was working all the time. Like, you know, it's just nonstop. You have no life. And I was working for Travis Barker. I left my firm, my agency, and I went to go work for Travis Barker. And I don't know if you're familiar with the plane crash that he had in South Carolina. Yes. And the, there were 
four people total that died on that plane, but there was one person that I shared a desk with every single day um, that died in that plane crash. And I had just had a conversation with him literally like the week before. Now his brother died in a motorcycle accident the week before, and then he died a week later. And I had just had that conversation with him because he was so down. And I was like, you have to live your life. You know, I'm having this conversation with him about how you're working for others and you're giving everything that you have to someone else. But what about you? You, He was so good. And when he died in that crash, his best friend called me at 4 a.m. because they did, he didn't want me to turn the news on and, and get this. And so he kept calling my phone and, and he told me and I never went back to work after that. I have never had a formal job since then. And it was almost like something kept saying, how many times are you going to tell someone else what they should be doing with their life and following their heart and their dreams? And how many funerals are you going to sit at, you know, and let another person be eulogized and you not do what you should be doing. And then that thing pops in your head, but like, but what about money? You know, I can't do it because I need money. And then I just, I thought about how much money do I really need? And I was naive enough to think that $7,000 was enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I cashed, I had my 401k and I don't even know how I managed to save that much money because my first job out of college, my very first job out of college was part-time. I made 10 grand for the year. I know this because I had my taxes done. <laughs> and the next second year I switched jobs and I made $26,000. And then after that, I think I got up to like 30 or 35, but I still managed to have that amount of money saved over those couple of years. Just so, a testament to the 401k, right? Yes. I mean, that's a powerful thing. Yes, yes. And so moved to Atlanta with a brand new Volvo, which sucked up that $7,000 because, you know, with the note, my insurance went up because Atlanta, the insurance here is a fortune because of the number of accidents. I'm not going to say whether or not I think people can drive here. Um, so everything, the money was gone before I knew it, you know, it was gone. And that's when I got on care.com and decided, you know what, if I have to water plants, babysit, you know, walk dogs, I, it was, and it was the height of the recession, no one would hire me. And so I was like, I have to, to do what I know how to do. And that's just use my body and do something. Mm-hmm. So I did. So your friend's passing Mm-hmm. Was this was this really kind of light bulb moment for you to realize I need to seize my life, take control yes. of my life, stop living? You know, I just had Daphne Oz on the show. Daphne is the uh, co-host on the Chew, doc, daughter of Doctor Oz, and she says I was living this placeholder life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we can re- all relate to that. It's like sometimes you feel like you're living this life that you know one day when right. I have the house and one day when I have the job that I want. Well, why can't one day be today? Right. And so you moved to Atlanta, you used up all that money before you even got there, decided to babysit, which is totally respectable. And then where did you go from there? So you're babysitting and then... I was assisting. Actually, Mm -hmm. I was working when I was on that website, one of the Real Housewives of Atlanta, Kim... Um, the blonde one that was dating Big Papa at the time. I don't know if you watched that. <laughs> nice. She she was on that site too, looking for help, just any kind of like personal assistant help. So she called me on Valentine's Day. I never forgot that. And she invited me to her house for an interview and she gave me a hundred bucks on the interview. And I was like, girl, I am here. I am here for you. And so I started just helping her out in her life. And I was actually on the show the second season, just 
I'm very sort of like organized and resourceful. And so I was able to help her out with a lot of things. And while I was helping her is when, um, when I was on the show, I just, I sort of just vanished from LA. People didn't even know where I went. And then when they saw me on the show, a lot of my work PR friends were like, you're in Atlanta? Just saw you on the show. <laughs> and so then they started- You're an extra on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Right, right. And so they started sending me um, sort of local PR work. So I started doing, picking up um, freelance work. And then that, that work started to pick up so much that I just stopped working with Kim on Real Housewives. And then that's when I started freelancing some music festivals and different things that came through Atlanta or down in Miami. Um, and that kind of like led me to starting- what was my very first business, which was Artifacts PR, which I worked on some, um, some beauty brands, some apps, and just, you know, whatever people needed my help with uh, after they found out where I was, that was when I, I transitioned out of that into doing Artifacts. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? I feel like it. I think so. You know, growing up, my mom said that I used to look around at people. So I didn't grow up with a lot. I never felt poor, but I think that now that I have a bit more money, I probably was. Um, but my mom says, when, since you could talk, you look around and mom, what, do, what does she do? What do they do? You know, I think that I would look at the things that people had and wonder what did they have to do to get them? So Pearlbox is genius because you. as you've mentioned and pointed out, um, women of color spend more money on hair treatment and hair care than any other demographic. Mm -hmm. So clearly a, a market, Yes. Uh, but how do you differentiate yourself? There's so many, first of all, there's so many products out there, but then also I feel like the subscriptions, monthly subscription box, you know, service thingy is like, there's so many of them. Yes. It was such a fad almost. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a subscription for literally everything. Yeah. Um, so how did you differentiate yourself in the beginning and how do you continue to claim your stake in the marketplace? Um, when we started, I, the business is almost four years old. So you think this was maybe four and a half, five years ago that I even started working on the idea. And I under, I think that because I am my customer, I really understand what's needed. You know, it's not, it's, we do really well because of the way that we sample. If you looked at our boxes, they're mostly full size product because the reason why we consume so much is that we don't use a little packet of product. So we need to, when we're trying it, we need a lot. So I always made sure that the samples were generous. And then I always make sure that, um, when I work with brands, they, that there's some added value and that they are kind of like buttering my girls up. You know, I feel like all of the, every time I, I don't know if you know this about my business, but you can only become a member once a month. So if you wanted to go online and become a Curlbox member today, you cannot. Yeah, so that's smart. You, you create this like sense of scarcity. Yes. And it's not because I'm, it's, it is true. It is scarce and it is scarce because it is taking, com taking companies a really long time to understand how to market to us. I know how to market to us. They don't really understand. And so I had to, I had to do, and I still have to do a lot of work to tell brands why, you know, the photos that we use, like why everything we do really works. And so, you know, I think that I just stay ahead by, I am my customer and I know how tricky and how hard this is. And so I know what's going to work. And it's not a, this is not a, 
I don't do it for the money. You know, I'm very lucky that I am able to get paid to do this, but I would do it for nothing because I really love it. Like I really love being able to choose, you know, the models that go with every box and just the different products that we use. Or like when I score, like we have some really phenomenal boxes coming up this fall that I know for a fact that no one, no single box is going to be able to sample these, you know? Mm. So there are some brands that only work with us. And that's our advantage. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah, you you definitely create the sense of exclusivity from whether you're a client or a client, mm-hmm. but a customer, very VIP experience to even the ones, the companies that are that are partnering with you. Yes. You say that you're not in this for the money. You're really following your passion. But listen, it's okay to want to do it for the money too. You're profitable. That's smart. You're, you're a smart businesswoman. You're savvy. You have to sort of think about the bottom line too, right? Let's be honest. Absolutely. Listen, I like money. <laughs> I like money. Thank you. I like having a lot of it. And I get excited. Um, I get excited when I make big deals, you know, and I make some pretty big deals. But, you know, I just I don't I, I should say that I'm not motivated by the money. That's probably better. That's mm. a better, better said. The money doesn't motivate me, but I do. I don't mind it at all. All right, everyone. So check out Curlbox. You know, I am not a woman of color, although for years I thought I was because <laughs> I don't consider myself a white girl. Okay. Um, I'm a Middle Eastern woman. And, right. and so when I would like think of when I would check off those like boxes on college applications, I would always mm-hmm. check out other. Right. And <laughs> little did I know I was Caucasian all this time. Oh my gosh. Um, right. Because like- also my hair is the biggest pain point. I think my, my mm-hmm. biggest beauty pain point, my hair folks does not always look straight and gorgeous, even though all my headshots look like that. But, uh, I wake up in the morning and I have to like decide whether I'm going to blow dry my hair today or just put it up in a ponytail. Most days it's in a ponytail because I cannot deal with my hair. Like it just takes me too long. Yeah. Um, and then professional services, like, Okay, am I going to go spend eighty dollars to blow out my hair every day? No, that, and and you you can relate. I mean, I think for most women of color or African American women, that's the thing is that our hair is our pain point most of the time. And what are we going to do? What's going to work? How long is it going to last? When is it going to stop working? You know, Absolutely. it never ends. It never ends. Well, let's talk about a little bit more about my leaks money mindset because yes. that's also why I wanted to have you on this show. If you if you had to summarize your money mantra in one in one gulp, what would it be? My money mantra in one gulp is if you can't buy it twice, you can't afford it. Hmm. Tell me more about this cuz I feel <laughs> like I I definitely have stretched myself to where I can only buy one, not two. (laughs) And me too, (laughs) right. I'm buying a new house and I can't buy two. But I think that when I think about the day-to-day, my day-to-day things or the kind of, you know, non-necessities, I should say, um, that's kind of how I, that's my approach to things. And so when I first started making a little bit more money, I, I would feel the need. Like, I remember, I'll tell you, when I first started Curlbox and I was setting all these goals, my uh, subscription goals and I have financial goals. And I'm like, if I hit this goal, I'm going to go get a Chanel purse. I don't know why. I just wanted that. And that was like, in my mind, I felt like the more I make the lar- the bigger purchases I should be making. And so I even went and did all the research, went to Saks. I think the purse that I wanted was like $10,000. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can, you know, I'm going to have $10,000 to get this. And 
I don't know. I, I hit the goal. I had the money saved. I, the day that I hit the goal, I walked into Chanel to get the purse and I just couldn't do it. You know, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know. What is, what am I doing? Why was this so serious to me? Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, I decided to, not get the Chanel bag, but still reward myself with a nice bag. I ended up getting a Prada bag that was about $1,200. And look, I mean, I could have gotten at least nine bags or eight bags, you know? And then, and then after that, I was even still like, why is this so important to me? And so after I talked with my accountant about this, like how emotional I was, like, why is it that every time I hit this financial goal, I feel like when I hit this, I need to go spend a fraction of it on something stupid. I can completely relate. <laughs> I, I still to this day can't bring myself to buy anything from <laughs> Chanel. Um, <laughs> Me and I, you know, I wanted all of that stuff when I was in my 20s and poor. Yes. And yes. eating tuna fish out of the can. I wanted all of the bags. But now that I have the money, I would rather spend that money on a piece of artwork or a home renovation project. <laughs> because, yes. folks, that's how much a Chanel bag costs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, It's kind of ridiculous. And so you really, I think that when you start to work hard for your money and the money starts coming in, I think you start to realize what you actually want Mm -hmm. out of life and what your values are in a, in a, in a bigger way. So see, I told you, told you we were, we were meant to be friends. Um, (laughs) What would you say is your biggest money moment growing up as a kid? Uh, You already shared a little bit about Right. Your mom and growing up not with not you know, a lot of money, but what would you say was a defining money moment as a kid growing up? I think that like I was explaining a little bit earlier that, you know, I would look around at what people were doing to try to see how they were living these lives. I mean, you can look at people's cars like they look neater, they look polished. And um, I, I began to learn at a really young age that they were either experts at something, um, they were professionals and they were usually experts. So from the time I was a young kid, I just knew like, I've got to be a master of something, you know, I have to become a professional expert. And so that has always been in the back of my mind, um, through school. I mean, as a young adult of like, I want to be great at something at one thing and be known for it. Who are your role models? My role models? I'm probably like every young black girl. I mean, Oprah. I know this sounds crazy because <laughs> I've never She was met one of my Oprah. role models too. Yeah. yeah, you know, I used to schedule my college classes around the Oprah Winfrey show. And I think like once I discovered it, I would look at Oprah and say, you know what? Like, she's not a supermodel. She's brown, just like me. And she has like, you know, some African features. And she's sometimes a little quirky and weird. And she cries. And she, and this is like, even before I knew how financially successful she was, you know, I think I I began to understand when she would have guests on there and everybody started teasing her about being like super rich. But I think when she was like young, I was like, wow, I just wish I could, I just wish that I could like live my truth out loud like that, you know? And so I really looked up to her for a really long time. 
I still do. I still do. Yeah. Um, I met Stedman one time at a (laughs) a conference. We were both speaking. He's so cute. (laughs) Um, I so desperately wanted to like give him one of my books to be like, can you you give this to Oprah, please? Right. XO Farnoosh. Um, but (laughs) I, I respected him too much. And you know what he said though, during his speech, he said, you can't be dating Oprah and not know what you're, what you're like, what as a man, you can't be dating Oprah and not have a plan. Woo. And I thought, yes, that's so true. Because he re- he was inspired by Oprah to get his master's and create, okay. become entrepreneurial. And, and he was a corrections officer for like before he met Oprah. But okay. um, but always ambitious. But I think being with Oprah made him a lot more, uh, a lot more ambitious. Let's just put it that way. I think so. When you get with someone who, and that's been my struggle. That's why I really was in, I loved your book. Like just how do I connect with someone or relate? Because I think when you are financially successful, people think you don't have any needs and it's like, yeah, I do actually, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so mm, that's good. All right. Let's talk about failure, my leak. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. We we didn't go to, we didn't actually, I I teased this and I didn't, I I feel like we should talk about this just a little bit, but it was the jail thing. Yeah. (laughs) And again, I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I know really why you went to jail. That it was stressful. Yeah. That, and it wasn't like, it was a DUI Mm -hmm. um, and you had to spend 24 hours in jail, right? Yep. How was that? You know, it was not... (laughs) I shouldn't. The thing was, is that I'm glad that it happened because, and it happened so early before I became like uh, way successful, because I think that money kind of makes you feel invincible in a lot of ways and gives you like access and privileges. And I just was like, had I gone any farther kind of doing like, I guess when they always, when they say drink responsibly, I don't know that any of us really know what that means because it's like, is that one drink? Is that two drinks? I feel fine. You, you, you're likely going to always think you feel fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was terrible. It was, it was horrible. You're, I was, I never got like past the, um, holding cell or anything like that, but you're cramped into this room with like benches, the size of like pencils. So you're sitting on there for hours unless you stand. There's one toilet and like a constant flow of all kinds of people. You know, I met everyone from like like soccer moms that got were there for speeding over the limit to, you know, um meth dealers and Whoa. like sex people, prostitutes. I mean, it's just that thing where you like, holy, you know? Um so it was eye opening. And it also just understanding that it's designed to break people, you know, like people were being so mean to me. And I'm like, why are you being so mean? Mm-hmm. Relax. You know, it's Jeez. like you just, they're just naturally, okay, you broke the law, whether you stole a pencil or you killed somebody, everybody gets treated the same. Wow. Yikes. You know? Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, f- switching gears a little bit financially, mm-hmm. what would you say is your biggest failure? I thought about that. I was like, because I'm so financially, my biggest failure, I'm pretty, I'm pretty frugal for the most part and smart with my money. But I try to think about what is some of the dumbest things I've ever done. And I would probably say I went through a a jewelry period. I went through a period of buying really nice jewelry that consistently broke and fell off. (laughs) 
What? <laughs> I'm talking about, <laughs> yes. And I'm, I, you know, I'm really hard on jewelry, I guess. I now learned. And so I would buy like really, you know, necklaces, gold and diamonds and this kind of stuff. And it just would constantly, I can't even tell you how much jewelry I've lost. And so now I'm like, you know what, I'm back to... I'm back to fake jewelry because that was dumb, you know? Mm-hmm. Costume jewelry. I like Stella yeah. Dot. Have you ever been on Stella I and have. Dot? And mm-hmm. Stella Dot is so awesome. Their packaging is incredible. You order something from them and you just feel so pretty. I know. <laughs> no matter what it is. So I do costume. I'll do Maywell. I still have a, I still have like three things left. <laughs> <laughs> I have like a necklace or two and a, and a pair of earrings left. Um, like I bought these diamond and gold um, hoops that I don't know. Maybe I think they were probably like $6,000 that I, that I still have. That's all I have left. So I'm done. Well, you know, hey, buying a few pieces of bad jewelry in the grand scheme of life is not that big of a financial fail, but... Um, yeah, no. I've not really ever had that much money to... For a long time in my life, I didn't have enough to fail with, you know? And so I think that because I had so little that when I finally got some, I'm so cautious. Um, my therapist, I go to psychotherapy. My therapist says... Like, I think you're afraid to fully be happy or to not worry, you know? And so that's something that I personally struggle with is that I'm definitely, while some people get this money and they just start going crazy and like, you know, let's do buy this. I'm like, oh my God. Have you ever read Brene Brown? Work? Yes. Yeah. She, she was on Oprah um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot. And, and mm-hmm. one of the, her, I can't, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but she said something like, more or less that being happy is, mm-hmm. is for a lot of people, the scariest thing. Yep. Like truly being happy because when you're truly happy, you have to be really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, you know, why is it that, for example, you're looking, I have a one-year-old son. So yeah. sometimes I'm, he's asleep and I'm looking at him and I'm like, oh, I could never love anybody more than you. Like you, mm-hmm. you, the amount of love you have for your child is immeasurable. And, and, um, the next, almost, almost always the next feeling that I feel Mm -hmm. is fear. Yep. Because I fear that, oh my gosh, if something ever happened to him or if he ever gets sick. And so, uh, her life is devoted to teaching people how to, how to avoid feeling that way. Because the last thing you want because when you're on your dying day, you don't want to look back and go, I'm glad I was scared my entire life. You know, you mm-hmm. want to say, I'm, you want to lean into those moments and be able to relish them more. And even if it's scary, even if, even if it's really vulnerable of you that you should, you should practice that more and be more conscious. Well, when that, when those things happen, I think that was really profound. You know what? And this is the thing I tell my therapist. I know this. I've read it and I know it, but it's like this thing of, like I told her, I just bought a new house and I just bought a new beautiful home. It's four stories, almost 4,000 square feet. There's an elevator in it, three patios, humongous kitchen, dining rooms, this, this. And it's, I can't get excited because you know what I keep thinking? Someone's not going to like me for doing this. It's bizarre Hmm. because you see what I preach on my Instagram. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people think, but somewhere there's a guilt that I have about what I have accomplished. I truly feel guilty a lot of times, but I'm working on it. Um, I'm going to try. I told her that I'm going to try, but it is true. It's hard for me to 
I'll, but I'll do it. You know, like I'm moving out of my place. I live in a two bedroom kind of like nicer apartment, but I was like, my leak, you can't stay small because you're scared, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's not, I'm acknowledging the fear, but I'm doing it anyway. So I'm letting you know, yes, I am moving into a really big, nice house, but I am very afraid, but I'm doing it anyway. Barbara Stanley was a guest on my show and she talks about this too. It's like women, especially we have a fear of, uh, owning what we're worth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, but she said, what is probably the most amazing thing that can happen with money is to put it in the hands of a woman. Mm-hmm. Because when women inherit wealth and when women earn their wealth, <clears throat> they the world becomes a better place, she believes. Yeah. And we see as, as a money as a way to have power to heal and power to change and power yes. to improve and power to help people. And so remind yourself of that, you know, and, and help use that reality and truth, truism to, to encourage you to earn as much as you can and earn as much as you want and spend as you want and save as you want, because it's a, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing. And they're always going to be haters. Who cares? Right. Absolutely. Always. What would you say is your number one money moment? Your so money moment buying the house. I think so. You know, I, I, I would say, I would say so. Like, I don't, um, Arnish, I don't know that I grew up in a 750 square foot apartment. I never had my own bedroom. Never. Um, I only got my own bedroom when I broke up with that guy and I moved out on my own. But until then I had not like really didn't have anything. And, um, I, I found this house on accident. So I was looking for a house a little bit lower than my budget because that's how we are. Right. The accountant says, you know, this is your budget. So I go under and I found a really nice house under my budget, but it was a brand new house. So the, the GPS dumps me in the middle of the street. So I just start driving and I'm like, I drive into this beautiful gated community and I'm like, Oh, this must be it. So I go and I look at this house and I just fall in love. And I'm like, wow. And because I've never bought a home before, I didn't know that this was not, uh, the price point of the house that I was looking for. And so I fall in love. The lady hands me all the paperwork on the house. I don't even look at it because I'm like, oh, this is going to be so great. I get home and I flip it over and it is about 300,000 more dollars than what I was the other house. And, um, talk to my accountant, talk to my wealth manager, because I do have those. And they were like, well, you can afford it. And it was almost like this sort of overwhelming, tearful moment that like, I can have what I want, you know? I can really have what I want and no one has to help me. And so, yes, you know, it's scary, um, but it is a so money. Like I can go out and buy exactly what I want. Mm. And Congratulations. So, That's thank awesome. You. That is thank so great. You. Virtual high five. Virtual <laughs> thank hug. you. Thank you. I know people see that. I've met some of my neighbors because it's a brand new, um, it's a brand new uh, subdivision in Atlanta and Buckhead. And I met some of the neighbors. And so all of my neighbors are like late forties, 50, 60 couples. And so they're like, you're, you're the baby (laughs) of the neighborhood. (laughs) Like there's no single person like in your third, like in your thirties. So I'm excited to, to, to get over there. And it's just so beautiful. And I told my accountant when I took him to see it, I was like, it's going to be hard for me to have a bad day in this house. So question for you, cause I'm, you know, I'm super nerdy about this stuff and I write about this. Mm-hmm. How has the dating been? Mm-hmm. Do you bring guys back to your four story house? Um, ah! I know I asked this, you know, why I asked this, right? Cause 
some guys would look at that and go, okay, I have, if she, if she, I, how am I going to, how am I going to support this? You know, cause guys want to support guys want to help right. guys want to be your hero. They want to be your man. Right. Um, and sometimes this can be very off putting, maybe a sign that he's not the right guy for you. But, um, have you, have you encountered this? Oh my God. You know, it's, um, what's so funny is that I was talking with Jess and I was dating someone else in that podcast. And so he has since been released. (laughs) He he is unleashed. (laughs) Right. But you know, um, it is hard and I'm dating someone new now who I am like completely obsessed with because they are passionate and they have like their own lane and they, they're very busy and they, they work a lot and they travel a lot. So they understand, but it's very hard for me. And he said this to me, he was like, you talk about money a lot. And it was like, I didn't realize I was doing it because I try to like start saying things before you, because the place that don't get me wrong. I live in a two bedroom place now, but it's three stories. My place is gorgeous. And so it's just this thing of like, I'm trying to like warm you up to what I really have and what I'm able to do, because I don't want to scare you. You know, I don't want to scare you because I have had people do that. Like they walk in and they're like, Oh my God. Or, you know, if you say, Oh, you know, I want to go to Mexico this weekend. I'm I'm just going to go, you know, people, there are people who don't, who aren't able to do that. So it's very hard. And I have found that like sometimes guys, um, there are some guys that they want to, for you to take care of them. Um, they don't want to nurture you because some people have this belief that money is all you need. If you have money, then you have no needs. Right. right. You know? And it's like, actually I, I have needs. And so, um, I think that I have, like, I met someone who I don't think is, you know, like he walked in my place. He's like, wow, this is gorgeous. And then Ah, I was good sign. Good sign. Yeah. But it wasn't like, there's the other side of like, so how much was this? Like I have this, um, bang and Olufsen stereo thing. And it's like, well, how much was this? It's like, ew, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and people, I don't think they realize how uncomfortable they make you when they constantly talk about what you have. Yes. Yes. So yeah. Try to remember that you're just a man and a woman in a relationship and that money is just a means to an end. It is. Um, and, and, uh, and that, you know, really what it, what it reflects is that you are a hard worker. Right. And that you are enjoying your life. And so what a great person to spend time with. Anywho. Yes. I agree. Um, yeah. You're preaching. I guess I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, what is your number one money habit, my leak? My number one money habit is probably twofold. One is that I check my accounts and I check um, receipts. You know, like if I go to a hotel, they oh, we'll email you the receipt. No, let's look at it. You know, because I think (laughs) (laughs) because I I think that, you know, sometimes people think that you don't care or you won't look at it. And there are times when I feel like, oh, I've been a bad girl that I don't want to look at it, but it's just like forcing myself to look at my numbers each day and scrutinize them because people will, people will try to get over on you all the time. It is a gross, disgusting thing, but I have been double charged. Mm -hmm. I have had people charge me more because they think I have it. You know, I'm like, well, what does this cost? You know, my, my least favorite thing is what's your budget. Don't worry about my budget. What do you charge? Uh, 
<laughs> oh man. You know, there's a there's a service out there called Billguard. Mm-hmm. It's free up to it. Like I think you can hook up three of your different credit cards and debit cards to it. Mm-hmm. And they will alert you when there's a double charge or when there's a suspicious charge or when there's like anything out of the ordinary that happens on your card. And actually they have caught some double charges. Mm-hmm. Um and and things that like I just know I didn't buy that might be a sign of fraud. So mm-hmm. anyway, for your if you're listening and you're wondering, yeah, I'm pissed about this too. How do I make sure this doesn't happen to me? Bill Guard. Bill Guard's free app. Yeah. Um all right, Miley, you've been so much fun. Let's do some so money fill in the blanks. Okay. And uh, have some fun here. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is plan to take one year off of work and travel the world. Whoa. So you wouldn't work. How would that even work? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Do you have a team in place? I do. I do. I have a team in place, but you know what? This is going to sound crazy as, as can be. And I'm probably only saying this because I don't play the lottery, but like, I think that if I got to that place where I was trying to like win money, like win a lot for a little, because I know that hard work is how you make money. But if I was going to take that risk, why not just say, screw it all? And just go away. I do. In, in, in my fantasy life, I don't want to work. I want to travel the world and live kind of like a gypsy. And if I could afford to do that, I would. I My wealth manager, I always say to him, how much money do I need to retire? <laughs> <laughs> what does he tell you? Well, he said, well, if you want to live a lifestyle of about $125,000, I think he said, he's like, you need to save up $3 million, And then you could get like a, your, a monthly interest check would be the equivalent of about $125,000. But I think based on kind of how I would want to live, I think I need to save $5 million. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if I want a hundred million and if I want the lottery, I'd put that to get that going and then I would take off. Bye-bye 4,000 square foot, four-story house. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> um, well, the one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is actually help. You know, I have a housekeeper, so... I've never like used my washing machine. I hate laundry, like hate it. So uh, spending money to have um, people support me or help me in my life, like um, what is the my favorite grocery thing? Instacart, like anything that takes away domestic duties, I yes. love. <laughs> Amen. I dedicate a whole chapter to this. Yeah, in my last anything book. that yeah. says bye bye laundry, bye bye dishes, mm-hmm. bye bye grocery shopping, I'll take it. And now, fortunately, there's an app for everything. So yes, there's an app for that. <laughs> what, what is your guilty pleasure? One thing that you spend on that um, you are totally uh, you splurge on it, but it's you know what you can't live without it. I splurge on fancy hotels and I'm trying to get better at it because what happens is when you start staying in these, any, you know, five, 500 plus dollar rooms, you know, I've stayed in a, I went to Paris for uh, New Year's Eve last year and I stayed at the Mandarin Paris. <laughs> it's like a thousand dollars a night. Oh my gosh. For like a week. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but Airbnb girl. 
I try, but this is, this is going to, the so money crew is going to kill me. I also paid for an Airbnb because I was going to stay in an air. I got an Airbnb for the week for my cousin and her wife and her friends. And I got over there and I was like, I can't do this. I'm tired. I've worked all day. The heat was taking too long. And so my <laughs> guilty pleasure is I really like to check out. I was like, I, I, we were driving to the Airbnb and I saw the Mandarin and I was like, I'm going to go say hello to everyone and I'm going to go check into the Mandarin. <laughs> Whoa. So I did that. That's my splurge. I'm getting better at it. I haven't done that. Uh, but I, I, I do, I love, like there's this really fantastic place in Cancun called Nizuc and I Z-U-C, beautiful. Like I just, that feeling, mm-hmm. I love it. So yeah. I, I splurge on hotels, but now with the new house, I think I need to sit down. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, nest a little bit. Yes. One thing I wish I'd known about money growing up is? One thing I wish I'd known about money growing up is that um, the more you have of it, the more access you have in life. You know, the more you care about it. Like, because I have more money, having more money gives me access to deals, gives me access. You know, when I pay for like my car insurance, I pay it all at once, which gives me a discount, you know, when there's so much that happens for you when you have more. Mm-hmm. So if you take know, care of it, yeah, if you take care of it and you take care of, you know, people know that you care about money, you know, like the home loan, like that sort of thing. I, the bank treats you, they roll out the red carpet. I get a home loan. They're taking me to a tennis tournament, you know, like, thank you. It's just, which bank do you have? I need that bank. <laughs> I bank it. I bank at a couple banks, but mainly Morgan Stanley. I love them. They gave you a mortgage. So that's like an investment bank though, isn't it? Yeah. So that's the thing. It's an investment bank. But once you get your weight up over there, you find out that they do all kinds of stuff. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Money opens doors. Yes. Money gives you access. Yes. Um. All right. When I donate money, we've mm-hmm. talked about spending. Yeah. Let's talk about donations. When you donate money, I like to give to blank because... I typically give, so I've given to St. Jude. My company actually raises money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. I was invited. One of my Curlbox members works there. She raises funds for St. Jude and she had her boss fly me out and give me a tour of the hospital. And and it blew my mind. The fact that if a parent finds out that their child has cancer and they're accepted to this hospital, the hospital pays for, there's housing, beautiful apartments that I got a chance to take a look at. They pay, they cover all of the treatment. And I met a young lady who was going to be there for two more years after I had met her. Oh my gosh! Uh, and so it's that thing of like, if I, and it costs, I think they said a million, uh, it's like a million dollars a day to run this hospital. <laughs> and what I love mostly about it is that the owner, the person who started it had a dream. Like I wish that I could have a hospital that treated kids with cancer for free and it, and it's happening. And so we raised, um, almost $20,000 for them last year. And then I give money. If I have other friends and colleagues like March of Dimes, I just went to a luncheon for them. And then, you know, I try to help. I mentor a lot of young women in their like twenties and I give the, I give to them by way of experience, um, trying to, I feel like I became successful because I was exposed. And so I try to expose them. Like I sent my mentee and my assistant to Croatia. You know, I try to, my assistant has been with me to Paris and Amsterdam. Like the more you see, the more I think you should begin to want in life. 
And last but not least, I'm Miley Teal, and I'm so money because... Okay, this is the one that I really want to, <laughs> to do. You want to nail it. I want to nail it. Um, I'm my league till and I'm so money because I'm not emotional about, I'm not an emotional spender. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing that moves me. Like, I will not do it. That's right. You walk into that <laughs> Chanel store and you walk right out. Right back out. That no, takes <laughs> That takes strength. That takes strength. With the money. <laughs> yeah. No With the intention. Mm-hmm. And then... Reality kicked in and exactly. common sense kicked in. Nothing against people with Chanel bags. You know what? I'll, I'm going to be honest. I have a little Chanel wallet that I I like wanted to go and buy the big bag. And then I was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. But I did buy myself a little um, crossover bag that I can – that's really practical. I can put like my, you know, my credit cards in there, my, my cash and things like that. And I take I like polish it every night. My leak, you've been so much fun. Thank you so much for being so honest, transparent. Congratulations on Curlbox and everything else, the four-story townhouse. Thank you. I hope you. you get to go on that kick-ass vacation and retire yeah. early like you deserve it and find the man that appreciates you. So thank you for all of that. And we will be uh, watching you. Okay. Thank you so much. To learn more about my leak, check out mytaughtyou.com. All this information is on somoneypodcast.com. If you have a guest suggestion for me, someone you'd like to hear, a person of color, a black individual who you think has an incredible and important story to share when it comes to money and building wealth, let me know. I want to know this person. I want to share this person's story. Email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in. More to come. And I hope your day is so money.